Um, I know, I know you guys love Kevin, and um, I know that you love your elders, and they carry the bulk of the teaching here at Greenbelt. So, um, if you're missing their teaching, don't worry because they will be back next weekend, and they'll be fixing all the damage I've done these past two weeks. So, um, <laughs> thank you. So, let's let, let's do a bit of a recap. Last week we talked. Um, we looked at the scenes um, at the end of Mark chapter 2 and the beginning of Mark chapter 3. And um, it all starts with an accusation that Jesus and his followers were breaking the Sabbath rules. And it escalates to a confrontation with Jesus over the healing of a man on the Sabbath. Now, this act of standing, up to the, of standing up to the religious elite along with the miracles that Jesus performed made him a celebrity. And crowds started following him everywhere, and there was pandemonium. And it got so bad that his closest friends started thinking that he was getting too high on himself. And to add to that, the religious leaders of the time were saying, you know, this guy's practicing black magic and working devil tricks. And um, you know what's funny? Um, his followers and his family must have really thought that he was getting too full of himself because when his family came to see him, and I don't think it was really that innocent. Uh, I think it was his disciples that brought his family when they came to see him. You, know, you cannot pull one over your family, can you? Your family can see right through you. There's no use being pompous around them. And I think that this was Jesus' uh, Jesus's disciples and his family trying to knock him down a peg because they thought that it would be to his benefit. But Jesus was like, who do you think are my mother and brothers? Looking around and taking everyone seated around him, he said, right here in front of you, my mother and my brothers. Obedience is thicker than blood. The person who obeys God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now, there's so much to say about this interaction. But I'm particularly interested in what happens next. Because, you see, instead of going back to Nazareth with his family, Jesus instead goes, as the writers of Mark put it, down to the sea. And he tells a story that helps to put into perspective what he said to his followers and his family. And we're going to take a look at it in Mark chapter 4. We're going to read a long passage of scripture. And um, just like we did last week, I'm going to use a version of the Bible that's not in the seat in front of you. However, if you pull it up on your phone, it's called The Message. We're going to read from Mark chapter 4 in a translation of the Bible called The Message. It's, um, I like using it because I've kind of been in church my whole life and I've read the New International Version so much that it just becomes silence to me. So I find this one more conversational and illuminating. We're gonna, you can follow along if you want, if you want in your uh, Bible app or we're going to have the, the verses up on the screen. So let's read it together. He went back to teaching by the sea and a crowd built up to such a great size that he had to get into an offshore boat using the boat as a pulpit, as the people pushed to the water's edge. And he taught using stories, many stories. Listen, what do you make of this? A farmer planted seed as he scattered the seed. 
Some of it fell in the road and birds ate it. Some of it fell in the gravel. It sprouted up quickly, but it didn't put down roots. So when the sun came up, it withered just as quickly. Some fell in the weeds. As it came up, it was strangled among the weeds and nothing came of it. Some, some fell on good earth and some came up with a flourish, producing a harvest, exceeding his wildest dreams. Are you listening to this? Really listening? When they were off by themselves, those who were close to him, along with the twelve, asked about the stories. And he told them, you've been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. But to those who can't see it yet, everything comes in stories, creating readiness, nudging them towards receptive insight. These are people whose eyes are open, but don't see a thing whose ears are open but don't understand a word, who avoid making an about-face and getting forgiven. He continued, Do you see how this story works? All my stories work this way. The farmer plants the word. Some people are like the seed that falls on the hardened soil of the road. No sooner do they hear the word than Satan snatches away what has been planted in them. And some are like the seed that lands in the gravel. When they first hear the word, they respond with great enthusiasm, but there is such shallow soil of character that when the emotions wear off and some difficulty arrives, there is nothing to show for it. The seed cast in the weeds represents the ones who hear the kingdom news but are overwhelmed with worries about all the things they have to do and all the things they want to get. The stress strangles what they heard and nothing comes of it. But the seed planted in the good earth represents those who hear the word, embrace it, and produce a harvest beyond their wildest dreams. Jesus went on. Does anyone bring a lamp home and put it under a wash tub or beneath the bed? Don't you put it up on a table or on the mantle? We're not keeping secrets. We're telling them. We're not hiding things. We're bringing them out into the open. Are you listening to this? Really listening? Listen carefully to what I'm saying and be wary of the shrewd advice that tells you how to get ahead in the world on your own. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. Stinginess impoverishes. Some of you guys know that my dad is a pastor. And um, because of that, I've been around the Bible, I've been around biblical teaching my whole life. And one of the things that gets missed in our dissection of biblical passages is, is that in our quest to mine the Bible for theology and application to our lives, we end up fragmenting it and we ignore the longer story arc that's happening in the passage. Allow me to explain what I mean. So for the longest time, I never really read the first story in Mark chapter 4, the, the one about the farmer scattering seed in the context of what he said to his family and followers in the previous chapter, or what he talks about later when he talks about putting a lamp under the bed or the seemingly throwaway statements about generosity. Now, on the surface, there are many good lessons to learn. As a child, when I was taught the parable of the sower, what was communicated to me was that I needed to be a good earth person. A person in whom seed is planted and a harvest exceeding the wildest dreams is found. But then as a teenager, I rebelled. 
I rebelled against the church. I felt like the church was just a crazy religious straight jacket that was being forced on me. And so in my many years away from Christianity, I was the quiet example of the seed that fell on the road or the seed that fell on the gravel or if they were being generous, I was like the seed that had been thrown among the weeds. Does this seem familiar to you? You need to be good soil. You need to be good soil. Now, in later years, I returned to my faith. I became a leader. And then I started to see this parable from a different perspective. I started to think of myself as a kind of farmer. And I took this parable as a warning. I tried to make sure that I was not wasting my time sowing seed on the road or on rocks or among weeds. And even though it was never really said this way, it was something that I had learned at a subliminal level as a leader, that I should steer clear of lost causes and focus my energy on soil that would produce a good harvest. As leaders, does this sound familiar to you? Anybody that is a Christian leader will tell you that this conversation about bad soil and good soil has been used at least once in a conversation to describe a failed initiative or a person or a group of people that are not receptive either to the gospel or to some new initiative or to leadership. But about five years ago, I was suddenly struck with a completely different take. And the more I've thought about this passage, and the more that I've read it not as a standalone, but rather in the larger context of the events and the teaching around it, I've become persuaded that Jesus was trying to communicate something bigger through this passage. As a matter of fact, you, you, you catch him, he's trying to make his listeners really, really get it. In verse 19 and verse 23, he says the same thing. Again, he says it twice. He says this, are you listening to this? Really listening. What does he want you to hear? Here's, here's the first observation I was struck by. Jesus starts out by talking about a farmer. But this farmer is quite weird. He scatters seed in all sorts of places that a good farmer would not. A good farmer would clear the land first, wouldn't he? He would till the land, maybe he would grade it before planting on it. But this farmer in this story does no such thing. He scatters seed everywhere. He scatters it on the road. Who does that? He scatters it on the rock. Who does that? He scatters it among weeds and also on good soil. But this is a really wasteful farmer. Three of the four places he plants seed have no hope of producing a harvest. 75% of his seed will not produce a harvest. But he does it anyway. Are you listening to this? Really listening? Sure. Jesus breaks it down. He, uh, he explains what the different, services, the different services really mean. And it is true of the world in which we live. Some people are like, are like the seed that falls on hardened soil. No sooner do they hear the word, Satan snatches it away. Some people are like the seed that falls on gravel. They hear the word, they respond with great enthusiasm, 
but they are of shallow character. When emotions wear off and difficulty arrives, boom, they're gone. The seed cast in the weeds represents the people who hear the kingdom news, but they're overwhelmed by the worries about the things they have to do, the things they want to get, blah, blah, blah. And so the stress strangles out what they hear. The fourth group, the seed that is planted on good earth, represents those who hear the word, embrace it, and produce a harvest beyond their wildest dreams. And yet still, we cannot ignore this wasteful farmer. Sure, there is a great harvest. But people like me go, he could have increased his harvest by 300%. If he just planted everything on good soil. If he didn't waste his time planting on the road and in the gravel and in the weeds, he could have had 300% more. And because the farmer's actions are confusing, we just rush by it. We just gloss right over it. But Jesus starts out this story by asking, what do you make of this? And when he's done with the story, he asks, are you listening to this? Really listening? So what hit me five years ago is this. God is the farmer. God is the farmer. Sure, there is a good harvest. And he could increase it by 300% if he just stuck to planting seed rather than wasting it on the road and on the gravel and among the weeds. God is the farmer. And what hit me was that I have not always been good soil. As a matter of fact, for most of my life, I've been like the road. I've been like the gravel. I've been like the weeds. Any other farmer would have ignored me. Any other farmer would have walked by and felt like I was not worth his time. Any other farmer would have tried to beat me into a mold before planting seed in me. And because I have been overlooked and I have been prejudged more than once in my life, both inside and outside the church, I might add, I've come to understand that God's economy is different from my economy. Where we would hold back, God generously gives. When we see a bad investment, God lavishly invests anyway, doesn't he? And for many of you sitting in this room, I'm sure that you can look back on your life and see, based on the parameters of this story, that at one point, you were what would be considered to be bad soil. But aren't you glad that God still scattered seed? Some of you know your story so well that you can confidently say that God saw something in you that nobody else could. Just drive this a little further home. I'd like to talk to you about how soil is formed. Now, ask my wife. I was kind of running the sermon by her because my wife gets the first draft. And I was like, what do you think of this idea? And she was like, eh, I think it's too much in the weeds, but like... Any bad husband, I'm going to ignore her advice. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, so, okay, wander with me off down this rabbit hole. How, how is good soil formed? If you are a geologist and I'm getting this wrong, 
I have the microphone. Okay, from my rudimentary geography, I learned that it is formed over thousands of years as the forces of nature break up volcanic rock. Glaciers shake the land. You know, rivers cut through it and break up rock and carry it downstream. Over time, increasingly larger plants break down the soil further. Even the best roads, with enough exposure to the elements, they can become good soil. Now, more to that, different kinds of plants need different kinds of soil. Grapes and vines, for example, they need soil that is gravelly. Rice, on the other hand, needs waterlogged soil. Tobacco needs sandy soil. The certain vegetables need soil that is a little more acidic. Certain perennials need soil that is more alkaline. So, my perspective is this. If the, if the farmer in the story is God, then it makes sense that the farmer who exists outside of our limitations of our short lives and understands the world better than we do can see land with a different perspective than we do. So what seems to us like bad farming practice is not at all bad in his eyes. What we would ignore, he does not. What we would overlook, he does not. What we would discard, he does not. And because of this, there are millions, millions of stories in our faith movement of people who were beyond hope that found faith in God. It is a unique feature of the Jesus movement. Over and over and over again, there are impossible situations that produce fruit. This is why the farmers sow seed on the road. This is why the farmers sow seed in the bad ground. It is not a bad investment as we would initially think. It is an understanding that nothing is impossible with God. Amen. Here's the second observation I arrived at. At the end of Mark chapter 3, Jesus' family comes to him. Um, and like I said earlier, my suspicion is that it was not entirely innocent. If you read the previous uh, paragraphs before Jesus' family comes to him, his disciples were concerned that Jesus was getting a big head. And they tried to take him away from the people. And then all of a sudden his family sort of innocently appears on the scene. I'm like, eh, I, think his, I think his disciples called him up and were like, hey, you got to come talk to your son. He's getting a big head. And if you look at Jesus' response, it initially looks like he has, like he's grown a big head. And when I read this passage, it, it makes me laugh because I think of my mom. My mom's a little pocket rocket of a woman. And she does not put up with any nonsense. And she's still that way. I, I turned 40 like a week and a half ago. And even as a grown man, I can say that I can actually I cannot say any foolishness around her because I've been slapped upside the head enough times to know that she will not put up with it. I have to measure my words around her. And so because of that, I found what Jesus said to be the kind of thing that I would never say. She's like, who do you think are my mother and brothers? Right here, in front of you, my mother and brothers. 
Obedience is thicker than blood. The person who obeys God's will is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Like, what? Jesus. Like, watch it. (laughs) You're just asking for trouble. It was only when I read the beginning of Mark chapter 4 that I realized something different. It is a short sentence. But to me, it is very revealing. It says, He went back to teaching by the sea. What you have to understand is that historically, sea towns were not very nice places. All throughout the Gospels, even in the beginning of the first chapters of the book of Acts, one of the things that the aristocrats in the city are surprised by when they see Jesus and his followers is the place from where they came from. They were from the sea. They were dirty and smelly people, backwater people. In fact, if you think about it, all over the world, even to this day, sea towns are filled with unsavory people. Now, in our 21st century, port cities have made themselves into glittering, gleaming metropolises, haven't they? But if you pull back the history books and look far back into their past, you'll find that they were places where the lowest of the low gathered, weren't they? Organized crime, swindlers, fugitives. These were the places where they hid. Once you know this, you understand the weight of this simple sentence. Jesus went back to teaching by the sea. Jesus left his family, who were imploring him to come home. He left them, and he went to this space where there were unsavory people. Jesus' life was literally the sermon he was trying to preach. Jesus is the farmer. Are you listening to this? Really listening? The people down by the sea are the ones everyone wants to ignore. The people down by the sea are the road and the gravel and the soil infested with weeds. The people down by the sea are not worth wasting your time and your light and your resources on, but not to Jesus. Excuse me. The people down by the sea are worth his time. The people are hard. <laughs> they, don't have, they don't seem to have a depth of character. They're easily excited, but it only lasts for a short time. These people are worth it to Jesus. They are worth his time. They are as much his family as his biological family. And this is why in verse 21, Jesus says, Does anyone bring a lamp home and put it under a washtub or under a bed? Don't you put it up on a table or on a mantle? We're not keeping secrets. We're telling them. We're not hiding things. We're bringing them out into the open. Out in the open. Out among the rejects of society, yes. Out among the people that nobody would give a chance. We're bringing what is precious to us and sharing it with you. Not hiding it away because you're unsavory, no. Are you listening to this? Are you really listening? Listen carefully to what I'm saying. And be wary of the shrewd advice that tells you how to get ahead in the world on your own. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. Stinginess impoverishes. 
last week, I felt that God was calling me to inspire you and to let you know that your story is not done yet. Jesus is on the move in this congregation. He's on the move in your personal lives. And he is not done with you yet. And because of that, I think that there's a little piece this week that I'd like to add to that. I believe that the little piece that we need to receive is Jesus' invitation into this journey. Jesus' invitation into this journey to partner with the farmer in this story. I believe that Jesus is calling you to take risks in areas that seem like they may have no return on investment. Just like the farmer scattering seed in the unlikeliest of places, I believe that Jesus is calling anyone who is really listening to be a part of his mission, not just to go where it is easy. Don't just go where it is easy, but be a part of his work where things may be hard. I believe that God is calling each one of you at an individual level, but also as a congregation to partner with him in his work of scattering seed. God is calling you to be an extravagantly generous congregation, generous with your time, generous with your expertise, generous with your gifts and your talents. Did you notice I did not say money? In the first service, I learned that it freaks the deacons out when I say it's not money. Um, (laughs) But here's, here's the thing. Time is a better seed than money. It is. Your expertise. All this stuff that has been poured into you over so many years is a better seed than money. Do you know what? God's investment in you has very little to do with money. God, the farmer, has spread seed through your life. And his invitation to you is to partner with him as he does the same thing in other people's lives, especially in situations that you may have overlooked. Are you listening to this? Are you really listening? I hope you are. I hope you respond. I look forward to the ways in which Jesus is going to inspire you to be, to be on mission in his city. Let's pray. God, I pray that by your spirit, you would move in our hearts and in our minds. And you would draw us to have a heart for the situations that are unlikely for the, for not just for the good soil, but for the road and the gravel and the weed infested areas. I pray that we would remember that we were once upon a time like that, but you drew us out and you called us to yourself. I pray that we would accept your invitation to be a part of your mission in this city, in this country on this earth. I pray that you would remind us that you are the farmer 
and that we get to partner with you. I thank you, God, because you are on the move. Amen.